Welcome to the Trigger One and Talk podcast, where we have uncensored conversations, we exchange information, and we provide resources for all the listeners and the viewers of this podcast. Yes, it is an international podcast. We have guests coming from all across the world. We just interviewed our sister Mahir Nadal from India. This is part four. We're going to continue this stigmas and taboos, stereotypes, worldwide childhood, DV. We're talking with our contributor, my partner, my friend, my sister, Leah Abraham, who's going to give her response to Mahir's great interview, talking about her experience with all the things that we cover on this podcast. If you are triggered at any point during this podcast and you need immediate help, please contact 911 here in the States. If you are in the UK, you can call 999 or 199 or 143, depending on what part of the world you're in or whatever your emergency contact number is. If you have issues with substance abuse, you know, alcohol or drugs, you can contact AANA or Alanon. We provide those numbers and websites. And also, if you are suicidal or know of a suicidal issue, please please, please contact 988 here in the States. That number is available 24-7 and it's toll free. We have our guest, Leah Abraham, who is a childhood trauma expert. You guys got to watch these interviews on Spotify or our YouTube channel, which is Pen and Pen and Consultant Solutions, LLC, because I like bringing the guests on screen. It's not a requirement, however, it gives more of a personal touch and feel to the interview. And you get to see some of these graphics. Well, I'm sharing my screen showing her IG page and her link to Clubhouse because she moderates a number of rooms. I'm part of one of the rooms that she co-moderates, which is the Eating Disorder and Disorder Eating. But she has a room called Trauma Drama House of Leah Abraham. And that's every Thursday at noon. Eastern Standard Time. Leah Abraham. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. I cannot wait to hear your response to Mahir's interview. And on the screen here, for those that are watching, but I will give the audio description. You did a five-part series in June, this past June, talking about divorcing your parents with Mahir, which was fucking phenomenal. And I say was because you all already did it. It is phenomenal. And if you have not, go to IG and look up Leah Abraham 1111. That's her handle on IG. And you can watch all five of those episodes, Divorcing Your Parents with Mahara and Leah. I'm just going to shut up and I'm going to bring you up on the screen big time. And I want you to do what you do best, Miss Leah Abraham. And let's hear your response to Mahir's great interview. The mic is yours. Thank you so much, LP. I love being on the Trigger Warning Talk podcast and I appreciate the conversations you bring to this space. Um, the conversation that you had with Mahir is very important because of the fact that she is in India. She is on the other side of the world from where we are, but the contrast of her story, my story, and many of the people that you have on this podcast, they're so similar that it really like awakens us to the fact that these issues are global. They are worldwide issues. So I want to touch on the very first thing that Mahir talked about, and that was that most people don't even know what trauma is because when you grow up culturally in a traumatic environment it's your normal it's your normal so you're raised in these environments where all of these 
toxic things are going on, but you're, you're not even questioning it because it has been all you've known since you were a child. So this understanding of what trauma is, it really comes when we are in that space as adults and we're looking back at ourself as that younger child and really acknowledging and and connecting with the things that happened to us when we were that little child because if we can come from that space and think about how it felt when we were young and these things were going on around us or happening to us what that did to us you know how that felt as a child if we can come from that space when we're looking at trauma in general it brings a whole new perspective and it's from that perspective that we really have to address the things that happened to us in childhood in order to make a change for future generations so I appreciated so much that she started off the conversation by saying many people don't even know that they've had trauma in their life. They don't even recognize their situations as being traumatic situations. So it's very, very important that we understand now we live in a day and age where we're so connected. We have information at our fingertip. We can follow people like the holistic psychologist. We have all this information at our disposal and it's really important for us to create our support systems based on the information that we have. So if you are an adult, what Mahir said is that we don't understand that we have trauma, but we definitely understand that we have anxiety or that we're in a depression state. And those are the things that we recognize as, as adults is that our life is not working or that I am always unhappy or that life is so difficult for me. And if we can recognize those sort of like signposts as adults, then it opens that gateway for us to explore, okay, well, how did I get here? Like, why is life so hard for me? Why do I have all this anxiety? Why am I, you know, needing medication for depression? So if we can see those things that are very clear and then start asking the deeper questions, well, how did I get here? Why is this showing up in my life? Then we begin to explore that childhood and we begin to see with eyes of clarity the trauma that happened in that environment in that first seven years of life when we were developing our core belief system. So you may not recognize, you may not understand what trauma looks like, but you can definitely connect with those feelings of anxiety and depression. And from that space, get curious as to why is that showing up in my life now? So that was the first thing that I wanted to touch on is that Many people don't even realize that they have such severe trauma from their childhood, but people will definitely relate to that depression or that anxiety or, you know, life just being so difficult. So I wanted to start off by responding to that. Keep going because I'm telling you, yeah. you got the mic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good, LP. So, you know, Mahir is such an amazing person and I feel so grateful that we collaborate together, that we've built a friendship and that we're working together to spread awareness around trauma and around healing that trauma and, and the action steps that we have to take to get to that point. You know, she talked about 
and and one of your what you speak about often on this podcast is human trafficking and she really broke it down uh in a way that i appreciated immensely because we think of human trafficking often as something that's happening out of the home you know something that's happening over there and you know it's this horrible thing that's that's happening on the planet but it's not close it's not close to home we think about it as being trafficked overseas or or different things of that nature but Mahir really put it into perspective when she talked about the way that the cultural norm is around owning a woman. She t- she talked about prearranged marriages and and that's part of it. She talked about marrying people off very at very young ages before you you know you've developed in your emotional intelligence and and really in your physical body. But one of the the stories that she told and I think it's very important to highlight that this was a client story of hers. So not just a story that she read in the news or she heard about on TV, but an actual client, a personal relationship that she has with a person and and the story that she told about being raised in a home where um, she had no father. She wasn't specific on if he had passed or, you know, how he exited their life. But she talked about, you know, the mother being a single mother and not being able to meet uh, the financial needs of the family. And so she sold her daughter to an older man. She basically trafficked her own daughter to bring in money into the family. And this is extremely important to highlight because when you're raised in these systems that, you know, you do whatever your parents say, you never question what they say, that your role as the child is to please the parent or to stay in line with whatever you're told to do. Nobody even thinks about I am being trafficked. I am being trafficked. You just think I am being a good daughter, providing a need for the family. You don't even question that. But it's so important to understand what is human trafficking. Human trafficking is using another person's body for your monetary gain. So that mother is trafficking her daughter. We also hear stories about in these cultures that are built around the patriarchal system where the woman is owned by her husband and we we hear these stories about you know the husband forcing the woman to go to bed with you know the father-in-law or someone else in the family or whatever it is and that is human trafficking that is human trafficking that is happening directly in the home it's not even like someone snatched you up off the street and put you into the situation. It is your your partner, your husband, your parent. So we need to like wake up and recognize the definition of human trafficking. We need to wake up and recognize the definition of trauma. And it all really comes down to choice, you know, removing someone's choice about what happens to their own body. And that choices removed when we see children as a commodity instead of as a human being you know what can i what can i gain from my child how can i monetarily gain something from from what my child has to offer so it's very important to look at those two points that what is human trafficking what is trauma and and that removal of humans ability to choose what happens to their own body 
And we really need to identify when children are being seen as a commodity versus a human being. So I appreciated that um, Nahir touched on that, that human trafficking is not something out there. It is happening in the homes. It is happening right in front of our faces. And we have to be aware of that and empower people to begin asking questions about that and questioning these family systems, these beliefs around what what children are in a family, the positions that they hold in a family, this idea of whatever our parents have created. And often that is so unhealthy for us. And we find that if we are doing something out of obligation, it will always lead to resentment. And that's not something that's good for any human to carry inside of them. So I was glad that she talked about that, what human trafficking looks like within your home. This is the Trigger Warning Talk podcast sponsored by Spotify for podcasters produced by Pension Pending Consultant Solutions, LLC. We have our friend, our sister, and our partner and collaborator, Leah Abraham, childhood trauma expert, talking about our part four in our stigmas, taboos, and stereotypes segment. Maher Nagar, who talked in the previous segment about her experiences dealing with stigmas, taboos, and stereotypes from a worldwide perspective, dealing with domestic violence and some other issues. This is Leah's response to that particular episode that we published because she wasn't able to be in studio with us when we recorded Maher's segment. I want you to go ahead and continue from where you left off, Leah. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much, LP. So as I've already discussed, there were many points that I wanted to touch on throughout the conversation. We touched on human trafficking is not just something that happens overseas. It's often happening in your own home. So that is very important to recognize the signs of when you have no autonomy or no say or no choice over what happens to your body, what's happening to your body, especially if someone is profiting from the use of your body. Those all fall under human trafficking, even if we don't see it in that perspective. Mahir talked about that happening in home. So to be aware of that, that was very key. Mahir also spoke to when they come from trauma backgrounds, where there's a lot of, where it's a toxic environment, they don't recognize trauma for what it is. They don't have a clear understanding of what is trauma. So that's very important to begin to uncover what is trauma and and to move away from the norms of your own family and see it from an outsider's perspective of someone that is trying to heal and live a peaceful life. Here talked about there's six ways to heal from your trauma. And I wanted to cover each of those. She did a wonderful job, of course, explaining them. And they are available on her website, Genuine yes. Conversations with Mahir, which is an amazing website. I think everyone should check it out, subscribe to her email list, and and look at the resources that she has on that website. And one of the resources is this. And I wanted to go through it and just give my own perspective on each one of these because they're so vital. She's put together such a comprehensive list of ways to. The very first one is what I just spoke to. Learn what trauma is and, and what your triggers are. So begin to start reading books or listening to podcasts like this one, but begin educating yourself on what what trauma is and and also looking at what healthy environments are. You've got the website up. Yep. 
It's all there. Some, some great resources. The first thing is to begin exploring outside of your family system and the norms of perhaps your culture, your religion, and that family environment in which you were raised. Um, start re- doing your research outside of that and really looking into what is trauma. The second part, she says, don't just ignore it, but seek help. So now that you've uncovered your trauma and you've recognized, okay, this environment in which I was raised was full of trauma or there were lots of toxic patterns that I was uh, a part of during my upbringing. So now you have two options. You, You see the trauma and you can either deny it, sweep it under the rug, or you can take action to begin healing that trauma. And that's a, that's a very uh, key step on our healing journey is choosing anything other than denial because denial is easy. It's what we've learned. It's what we've um, seen our parents do. It's, it's the way we've lived our lives up until this point of conscious awareness of that trauma. So from there, it's choosing to do something different. And that looks, that's going to be um, personal to each individual, but choosing anything other than denial. So now you know there's trauma, take action, take action to support your healing. Three is grounding techniques and um, clarity around yourself, somatic healing, healing the brain and the body. Those are beautiful points as well, because so often when we do come from trauma backgrounds, we are disassociated from our body. So those embodiment practices like grounding and being in the body, that can be done through meditation. It can be done through different types of exercise. I do dance, and that helps get me back into my body. So anything... You're great, you're, you're great with that dancing. Like, I love Thank your you. IG videos. I, you need to, I, I wanted to tell you that the other day. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> I wanted to tell you that the other day. I need you to do more of those videos because... <laughs> I think for me that the number three, the somatic healing, I think that, and I like that it's three because it's center. It's right in the middle. It's like, here's the meat and potatoes of, I think, healing. what is the crux of what she talked about in healing. And I want you to expound on that a little bit more than maybe you were going to, but go ahead. I just oh. want to tell you, please do more videos like that. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Helpy. I mean, getting into our body, being in bodies, it's, it's huge. And What that means is that we're able to feel what is happening in our body. We're able to connect with our emotions, with our unprocessed emotions, and we're able to accurately respond to a situation when we are actually in our body receiving the information from the outside. Um, So any embodiment practices are going to be helpful. And for me, it is dance. Um, That's what I found. It's a way to be in my body, but also express myself creatively and have fun. So, um, you know, other, other techniques are just going outside and putting your feet in the ground, you know, and feeling the earth. It can be as simple as that. Meditating will allow you to calm your mind enough to actually connect with the sensations that are in your body. So that's another good one. Um, but that somatic work, somatic just means healing it in the body. Um, And so those embodiment practices are very important for people that come from trauma backgrounds. And especially, you know, I work with people who come from sexual abuse backgrounds. And and when we come from a, a 
a trauma like sexual abuse, we learn very early on that the body is not a safe place. It happens very early on. So to uh, create an embodiment practice, it does take conscious effort, but that's, that's where it's at. Like you said, that's where the healing is at. Because we can learn all the things, we can read all the books, we can have all of the information, but our unprocessed emotions are actually stored in the body. So in order to process through what's being held in the body from those experiences in childhood, we have to actually be in the body and connect with them and process them through the body. So yeah, I appreciate you pointing out how important and key that one is because the deeper healing happens on that somatic level. Um, And then she talks about strongly believe in healing. And she says over forgiveness. So believe in your own healing over any type of forgiveness first. You don't have to forgive to move forward. One is something that I speak to often and also our friend Sarah Almarez will speak to that often as well. (laughs) And, And it's so important because religion and much of our cultures, many of the cultures around the world teach forgiveness that, you know, you have to forgive in order to move forward. And we are here to break that stigma around forgiveness because it is not true. We all advocate for the deeper healing of our traumas over forgiveness in the body. And we're doing that somatic work to heal. That is automatically, it's it's creating a, a healing around what is needed to be forgiven, but it's coming from the inside out. If we are trying to forgive, that's an an outside action. You know, that's something that we're doing out here. I forgive you. That's not actually going to clear the the trauma that's held in the body. It's not. It's going to mask it. And so often we get confused between the mask of forgiveness versus the actual process of forgiveness that happens first by processing what's stored in the body. So I love that she put this on her list because we do not need to forgive. To say that, you know, the only person we need to forgive is ourself for all of the times that we abandoned ourself for survival. And that is a process on its own. But again, that's internal work. So um, I think, you know, the one takeaway, forgiveness is not the answer. Forgiveness is not the answer. Healing the deeper roots and the deeper issues of your trauma, that's the answer. That's what's going to put you in a position where forgiveness happens organically, where you don't even have to take any action because you've just done so much healing work within yourself that that's not even a problem anymore. It's not even something you have to focus on or an action you have to take. It just happens organically. So I love that piece. Number five, she talks about don't overjudge yourself and don't criticize yourself. That's a beautiful one, too, because it's so easy for us to do that, to jump into criticism, to jump into judgments. Um, That's, you know, coming from trauma backgrounds, we, we saw a lot of that. We understand that we're familiar with that type of energy. But over time, we internalize that and we become the oppressor of our own self. So to recognize and take a step back when we do, when we are being harsh with ourselves, when we do find ourselves criticizing or judging our actions or our journey, 
Um, or sometimes, you know, we judge if we, if we fall back. I do a lot of work around addictions as well. And people are so hard on themselves when they fall back into their addictions. But there's, there's no need to be. If, if there's an understanding around our trauma, then there's an understanding around our addictions. Because those addictions were actually very helpful at some point to help us survive those traumatic experiences. So when we fall back into them, it's, it's the understanding that we want to bring into the picture. The understanding and the realization of, okay, I was triggered from the outside and it was very hard for me. So I chose to partake in a pattern that has helped me before. And that's all it is. The understanding of it, of that judgment, letting go of that criticism, that's going to allow us to move forward at a quicker pace than if we're beating ourselves up for, you know, falling back into an addiction pattern. But when we, when we bring in the understanding and the forgiveness for self, then it allows us to move forward um, in, a, in a healthier way. It, it allows us to move forward uh, as a full, whole person and, um, and with strength. So letting go of criticism and judgment is, is a beautiful thing. Um, but just like any other part of this healing journey, it does take conscious awareness to do that. We have to watch ourselves and recognize when we are being so critical um, and then, you know, interrupt that and change it with something like, you know, I understand why or forgive you or I love you or um, whatever it is that we need to tell ourselves to change the trajectory of, of that, that criticism. So I love that one, too. And then number, f- uh, number six, she talks about therapy. Find the right therapist. Seek help. And that's what you always say to you, LP. And and that's so key because we can't do it all on our own. I mean, the, the actual healing process, it takes place within our body. Um, The reconnecting to self, it takes place within the body. So there is much of the healing that can only be done on the personal level, but that community and that support is so necessary when when we're doing this difficult work processing things from from the past um reconnecting with our traumas seeing them clearly it it can be really hard and it can bring up a lot um and then there's always different levels to our healing and when we can connect with someone who has you know already like completed a level they can help us they can help us when we get to that level they can tell us about their experience they can us of you know these feelings are are normal um that community that happens when when you're supporting each other on a journey that you know one person has already walked or you're walking it together so that is key finding the right therapist um and, and she says therapist i say you know finding the right support a therapist can be key um, but sometimes that's tricky. You know, sometimes there are wait lists to, to see a therapist that takes your insurance or, you know, that you qualify for. Um, there may be times when you find a therapist who's in your network and it doesn't work. You know, there's just not a vibe with that person. So I am a strong advocate for also looking online for coaches or therapists. Many therapists are do have social media accounts now. And the beauty of that is that you can begin to learn about a person before you even meet them by checking out their socials, reading the things they write. Um, if they have any videos, you know, seeing if you vibe with the energy of that person. Uh, we live in a world now that's 
it's technology based. And so we have the capability to connect with people before actually meeting them face to face and learning about them. So if you uh, engage from that seeking help from that aspect and looking online, connecting with, uh, with, with different potential therapists or coaches and learning about them before you make an appointment, that's a wonderful way to kind of like filter out and, um, and hone in on the person that's going to benefit you and, and where you're at right now. So, uh, so definitely utilize technology, utilize social channels, connect with people. If your therapist is out there, check out her Facebook page or, and see if it's a right fit. You can tell a lot about a person from their socials. If you set up the appointment and it's not a good fit, don't stop trying keep trying to find somebody because I'll tell you, I went through, I think I went through five therapists and then I found the one and she was my therapist for years until she moved away. If she was still here, I would still be seeing her, but she moved away. And, um, and, and that was before the COVID stuff. I, I, I wonder if she does online now. I didn't, I didn't even think about that, but, um, yeah. So it's like when you, when you, you know, you put in the effort to find somebody that you vibe with, that understands you, that can help you. That it's for years, you know, you can maintain that, that support for years. So putting in a little bit of effort at the beginning to find the right therapist can benefit you for years to come on your healing journey. So I love that list that Mahir put together. I love the conversation that you guys had. There was so much goodness there. Um, was there anything else you wanted me to touch on, LP, that you can think of at this point that happened during your conversation you want me to talk on? Oh, yeah. She talked about her biological dad and thinking. What did you think about that part of her conversation? Because he was the That's source of her trauma. Most of her trauma. Absolutely. Most. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, first of all, I want to send love to my friend, Mahir. And I want to send appreciation um, for how openly she speaks about and And I want to really kind of highlight that often our greatest traumas come directly from the people that we live with, from our parents or our primary caretakers. It's important to acknowledge that because so much of our denial is built around um, keeping that persona of the parent and child relationship um, and, and making that look nice. But if we actually like let down those walls of denial around it and we see those people for the full person that they are, we uncover so much. And that's one of the things that I deeply respect about my friend Mahir is that she has released all of the denial around that and she sees them clearly. When we see our parents clearly as a human being, we see all of the good parts, but we also begin to see the questionable parts and the parts that um, where our trauma comes from. So when she talks about that relationship she had with her dad and, and how, she, how she feels in his presence or how he makes her feel, that is a feeling that she's carried ever since childhood. Those, that is a tension between them ever since childhood. And so... To be able to, to speak openly about that and honestly about that, there's healing in that. Um, first, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of hurt that happens. But that clarity that comes from releasing denial and seeing clearly, that clarity brings peace. It brings peace. 
And then, you know, vice versa, the, the hatred that we have once we see clearly that, that comes up too. And that's, and that's where the processing of our trauma will help bring peace around that. And also why I always support creating distance between you and your parents when you're doing this healing work, regardless of what your relationship is like now as an adult. I always suggest when you begin doing the deeper healing of your own trauma to create distance and separation from your parents so that you can focus on reconnecting with that younger part of yourself that experienced the trauma at their hand. And that helps to remove, you know, a lot of that, the uncomfortable feelings because you're focusing only on yourself. You're focusing on your healing. You're not worried about, you know, if you're going to hurt their feelings or what they're going to say or what the repercussions are going to be. You're not worried about that. You're giving your focused attention to you and your healing when you create that separation. So it is, um, it can be very hurtful when we start to see clearly the traumas that, um, that happened at the hands of our own parents. And we start to see that it wasn't all, you know, love and um, this, the pretty picture that is painted. A lot of hurt that comes from that. There is. For it to honor ourselves and to utilize our support systems in those times, with that clarity comes peace. With that clarity comes peace. Any, you know, resentment or anger um, or hatred that surfaces as a result of that clarity, that will dissipate. But it's important to honor those feelings too, because those are also feelings that have been repressed from the original experience and have been carried within us for so long. So it's important to let those things out too. Um, and, and sometimes write it out in a, in a journal. Sometimes that's like physically working it out, you know, doing some boxing or some hardcore exercise or whatever you have to do. Um, sometimes it's just like yelling or, you know, a, a, a verbal release. Um, sometimes it helps to to get with a person who understands and who, who can hold space and just talk it out. But that will dissipate because once you process through any any unprocessed emotion that lives in your body, then it, it clears and your energy is lighter. You're left with a lighter feeling. So Mahir's she's doing that. She's doing that. She's released the denial. She talks openly about that relationship that she's had with her father since she was a child and what that looked like as an adult and what that looked like when she released denial and started like uncovering all this trauma and seeing it for what it was. And she's talked about how she feels now, but she's, she's open about it. She's, uh, there's communication around it. And that's, that's important. And that's why she's healing. And that's why she's able to hold space for other people who have been through similar situations because she's not, uh, disconnected from her own situation. She's talking about it. She's accepted it. So one of the things that, and, and we're going to be wrapping up soon. One of the things that I wrote down that she talked about was the fact that he called her a prostitute in public, you know, when she was a late teen. And I wanted to get your perspective, not only on him calling her a prostitute, but calling her a prostitute in public as well as the arranged marriages that she talked about in that culture and in that area of India where she was raised. What are your thoughts about those two things? 
shame, public shame. When you shame in public, it keeps it it increases your your silence. You know, it um it silences your voice because there's public shame. Um and it's it's harder to stand up for yourself when there's other people around versus a one-on-one. So that bothers me. You know, that bothers me that the shame was public. But the thing that I um that I always speak to is that that pattern of putting her down, whatever the word is that he used, in this case it was prostitute, but it has been a pattern since her childhood. So this has been happening since childhood that putting her down or criticizing her for an action that she took or or not questioning something that she's done to gain understanding but just you know saying whatever whatever comes to the to to his mind to speak to that's a pattern that has been happening for so long and i think it's very important to focus on that piece of it because oftentimes as adults we can have an experience and it's a very painful experience and it causes us a lot of suffering in the moment. But if we look back, there is, it is rooted to something that is very, that is deeper. That root goes a lot deeper. And so even if we address the experience that we're having now as an adult and how it made us feel, that's important to do that. But it's not going to resolve. It's not going to resolve the issue. It's not going to um, rid the relationship of that pattern because that's a pattern that has always been there. I, I suggest taking space and creating distance from your parents when you're doing this healing work so that you're not engaged and, and subject to the repetition of that same harmful pattern, but also so that you can focus on the root where did this begin originally? When was the first time that I was publicly shamed by my own father? You know, finding that deeper root and then focusing on healing, healing that. And then, you know, the other thing is we put all these cultural expectations on what a father should be. And, you know, we're so um, affected when when they don't meet those expectations. But the the, the issue is, they never have. They never have. So releasing the expectations and focusing only on our own healing, that's, that's the, only, the only control that we have is over how we process something and how we respond to it. So, you know, he, he's showed his true colors many, many times. So there's no surprise. There's no surprise in that interaction as an adult. It's kind of just like it, it was inevitable. And inevitably, you know, if the relationship stayed the same, it would happen again and again. So it's about creating that distance and saying, I no longer want somebody that harms me in my life. Now I'm focusing on self getting to the deeper root of where that originated and healing the original wound. That's what's going to bring peace and put you in a position where that will never happen again, where you'll be vibrating at a higher level. So you'll never, you'll never match that pattern again. So that's, that's my thoughts on it. You know, that um, has always been who he's been and it's only the cruelty has only increased as he's as he's moved into his denial 
on a deeper level. And so that that distance is necessary to do your own healing. So those are my thoughts. The arranged marriages that she talked about Mm. uh, in that culture, what are your thoughts about that? Because this series is focusing on worldwide childhood domestic violence and sexual based offenses and trafficking. And she touched on those things. What are your thoughts about what she said about the arranged marriages that happen over in still to this day? The arranged marriages. I think it's again about recognizing what they look like because when something has been normalized for generations and years and years, um, we don't even we don't even think to question it. You know, young girls don't even think to question the arranged marriage. They are just so used to um this is how it works culturally. And when I get to a certain age, I'm, you know, my parents are going to choose a husband for me and this is how it goes. Um, there may even be like some excitement around it for the young girls. And so going back to what Mahir began the conversation, um, with is recognizing what is trauma? What is an, an arranged marriage? What is, um, knowing what is bodily autonomy, knowing what choice is, being able to use our voice, those are things that we don't have access to in cultures and societies where there's arranged marriages. You don't taught about bodily autonomy. You're not taught that you have choice or that you have a voice. So those are the things that need to be addressed. In order for changes to happen around these arranged marriages, People have to wake up and see the trauma in that, to see the trauma in that. And the trauma comes from when your choice is removed, when your choice around what happens to your body and your life is taken away. Trauma of all traumas, when your own choice is removed. Because I speak often to this, that the thing that differentiates a human from any other species on the planet is our ability to choose to make choices for ourselves on our behalf. So when someone takes your choice away from you, they are dehumanizing you. They are dehumanizing you. So when you are told you have to marry this person that you don't know, who often is so much older than you, so you have nothing in common even because you're from different generations, that is removing your choice and that is trauma. So again, it goes back to what Mahir said. We have to learn about what is trauma and we have to see it clearly for what it is. So, so in order for, for those types of things to change or for people to, you know, like wake up and, and make, a, make a change around those arranged marriages, we, we have to come back to knowing that we are the authority over our own life. And we get to make the choices that happen in our life or be a participant in the least. I think it, she, she talked about how often it's, you know, you, you do things to save face for the family or, you know, to, to help the family out. You know, you have to marry this person so that our family stays wealthy or our family stays intact. There, there's so much pressure that is put on young girls to maintain the family image. And that's, that's trauma in itself. That's, you know, to, to maintain the look of denial, you know, the pretty face that people see. Trauma is based on that. You know, if everything looks right on the outside, nobody's going to look deeper and, and look at what's happening behind closed doors or look at what's happening within. So 
I think that's a big part of it too, is just recognizing what is trauma and, and knowing that the, the simple definition of trauma is when, when your choice is being taken away from you and your voice is being silenced. So if those things are happening, then we have to start questioning. We have to start questioning the, the system and the way that things are working. I held a room in Clubhouse. It was a private room, so there's no replay on it. But I talked about um, how women, it's really very important for us to wake up because who is also involved in this arranged marriage? The mother. The mother who went through the same trauma as the daughter, but is now choosing to deny her own experience to to save face for the family or to not cause waves or or whatever it is. So it's really important for women to wake up, to wake up and 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 recognize the the ways that this patriarchy is showing up in 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 cultures all over the world and it's really important for us to wake up and, and use our voice for for our daughters who whose voices have been silenced so you know i think that's a big piece of it too many of the mothers have you know were were in arranged marriages and had their own feelings and traumas surrounding it but rather than talk about those and explore those feelings they just bury it behind denial and, and they force their daughters into the same life. And so to me, that's something that has to change. That's something that has to change if if we want to see a decrease. I got one more question, and this is for you specifically. When you when you think about stigmas, taboos, stereotypes from a worldwide perspective. And let's come back to this side of the pond in the, here in the good old U.S. of A. I had a conversation the other day, and let me just preface this by saying I'm not denigrating or downing anybody's religion uh, or their beliefs or anything like that. This was just a conversation more of an observation about what you just expounded on with arranged marriages. So Mrs. LP, she lived in Ohio uh, as a, a late teen. Her um, her dad was, uh, he's retired from the clergy. And so in that area uh, where they lived, there was a huge Amish community. And she talked about when she was in her last year of high school, how young girls in that community that were in the Amish community in particular would only get an education up to the eighth grade. Once they graduated eighth grade, they weren't allowed to go to school anymore. And she talked about that there's a federal exemption on the books for uh, a religious exemption for those young girls to not be forced to continue their education, at least through high school. And she talked about how she knew of Amish girls who at the age of 13, after they graduated eighth grade, immediately were in these arranged marriages and had kids, you know, at, at 13, 14 years old. And a lot of their husbands were 18 and older. And I was sitting there and I was like, I, I didn't know that. And I thought about this happens everywhere. We just continue to think that arranged marriages happen everywhere else. We don't think that this stuff happens in the USA. 
I don't know specifically of any other religions that are practiced here in the States do arranged marriages. I just know that when she was educating me on just the Amish community and shout out to the Amish community, because again, they do a lot of things that I support. You know, I support your freedom and practice whatever religion you have. I support you living your way uh, based on your beliefs. You know, this is not to discriminate against anybody. This is to just talk about and have a dialogue about how that can be impactful. Because I believe that no matter what religion you practice and believe in, I believe that education or at least access to education is important. I don't think for me, I don't think that having an education keeps you from still practicing whatever you believe. You know, we know that in uh, cultures like in the Middle East, uh, there is this huge fight in a lot of these uh, conservative uh, Muslim countries. The same practices are happening just like in India and uh, where women's rights are being heavily restricted, whether it's the clothing that they wear. Uh, being restricted from getting an education. I was just looking on Facebook today and they were talking about North Korea and how uh, the women are restricted from a lot of things like driving privileges or, you know, education and different things like that. And so I want to ask you, when you think about just, for example, these arranged marriages that happen here in the States, does your point of view change? Because I think sometimes we think of ourselves as we're here and they're over here in some third world country or whatever that's on them they you know they need to change their practices or their points of view so lp that that part about you know not being educated past the eighth grade that's very repressive right and um it limits the options that those girls have and i mean their options are already limited when they're in the community that you know, has already set up, this is the way your life is. You only go to school until eighth grade, and then you get married and have babies. Um, so it, it does happen all over the world. But I, what I want to look over. at, what I want to look at is the patriarchal system. Because that system, the patriarchal system, meaning where the man is in charge and the woman is under him, um, in whatever form that looks like, it, it can be masked by so many different things. It can be masked by religious beliefs. It can be masked by different fundamental ideals. Um, but essentially, it's that same concept that, that women and men are not equals. That if you are a man, you have greater power and authority over a woman. And that's, that's what's really going on here. Um, because in, I'm sorry, my battery is low, um, because in these systems, when the man is in charge, they're telling the woman what they need to do to keep the man in charge. And, and that's why I'm saying it's up to women to wake up and start asking questions and, and really, um, you know, deciding is this how I want to live where there's always a, a man who is the authority above me. Because even, even when it's not an arranged marriage, if every culture that I've heard of, it's still, you know, like, um, it, it's still a practice that 
the, the man, you know, even if it's your choice as the woman, it's your choice. This is the person, you know, I want to be with that, that man, that male still goes to the father and asks for the daughter's hand in marriage. Like even that's seen as something that's like, Oh, it's sweet and respectful and all of that. But really what it's showing is that that woman, that girl, the the female has no authority over her own life and doesn't have a say, you know, because her authority is her father until she's married off to another man who then becomes her authority. That's like the bigger issue here. That's the, the bigger issue is that that we're not being seen as equals that, you know, if you're a woman, your choice is restricted because of the, the laws of, of the man. Um, so if, if we want changes in these areas, we have to like wake up and see that what's happening is that patriarchy. It, that's still so present. I think that has been present for so long in humanity that it's one of those normalized traumas. We don't even like think about it. You know, we think that it's sweet when they go and ask the father for his hand in marriage. And then the father says, yes, I give you permission to now be the authority over my daughter. I'm transferring power from myself over to you. Like us women have to wake up and be like, I'm, I am not an object or a commodity. You know, I can say for my own self, um, and, you know, so I, in terms of the Amish, yes, it happens all over. It happens even in non-religious communities. It happens under the patriarchal systems. And that's what we have to look at is, is, is why are we still, you know, um, seeing a man as higher than a woman? You know, that's what's really the issue. Um, so those uh, systems have to be broken down. And in the Amish community, you know, these girls are born into that lifestyle. So again, like Mahir said, you don't even know it's trauma. You don't know any other way. You don't realize that your choice has been stripped from you. It's just what you're born into. And so in those like tight-knit communities that are almost like cults, it's very hard to infiltrate them or to get out of them when you're born in them. So, you know, um, from, from an outsider's perspective, I, I just say, you know, they're, I, I just say it always comes down to, to us personally, to the individual. If at some point, I know it's, I'm sure it's happened, there is a girl in that Amish community that begins to ask questions and say, wait a minute, I don't like this. Through that conscious awareness, she may be able to remove herself and live a different life, make a different life for herself. But for so many of the people in those close-knit communities, it's you're born into it and you just live that life. You don't even know that there's another option available. And that's what's said. So the work has to be done on the individual level, on the personal level. But also, I think it's it's a big awakening to the fact that all of these all of these cults and um, religions and and different fundamental ideas they're all under that patriarchal structure, and that's what really has to change, in my opinion. Like the seeing of 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 um, of humans as uh, as humans, you know, not as a gender or um, you know uh, a, a property. 
property, not as property or commodities, but as a human being. And and we talked about that when we spoke about the human trafficking as well. Like if if you're just seen as a commodity, you you've been dehumanized. You've been dehumanized. And we have to get back to our humanity. We have to see people for uh, human to human, human to human or soul to soul. So yeah, those things are going to continue to happen, LP, you know, whether it's overseas, whether it's in the Amish community that's next door, whether it's, you know, in your brother's home, those things are going to continue to happen if we don't begin to see children as humans and not as commodity. Um, and, and, we, and, and we keep stripping people of their choices. It's inevitable. When you have no choice, you have no voice, and you're not seen, and you've been dehumanized, you you know, people will do whatever they want with you. So, it's big work to be and done. In the hip-hop, and in the hip-hop community, that was what we call bars. <sighs> you have no choice, you have no voice. You know, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make a song. Let's roll something about that. Look, I'm going to go ahead and let you go because I know we uh, have things that we got to do. I want to thank you so much, Leah Abraham, for again just being the person that you are, the great humanitarian. And I want to also acknowledge that you and Maher have a great five part series talking about um, divorcing your you know, parents. Divorcing your parents. <laughs> You know, let me bring it up on the screen real quick here because I know people that may not have seen it, you know, it's still available. So if you haven't seen it on Leah's IG page, I'm going to show you where you can go. You can go to her IG handle is Leah Abraham 1111. And it is a great series with Maher and Nagar talking about divorcing your parents. They really deep dive and these are 30 minute segments each. that you did every, what was it, last month, I believe, that you all held this. And tell me, yeah. if, you, if you have not watched it, definitely check it out. It is great information. Leah Abraham, I can't wait for our next series. I want to talk with your friend, Norma, is it Norma Leakey? Norma Lokai. I, I definitely want to talk with her and get her perspective on these worldwide childhood domestic violence and and sexual abuse situations because, again, we are focusing on ending the stigmas, stereotypes, and taboos. I'm going to go ahead and let you go. I'm going to pull up this missing person case because that's how we always end every segment. And I will see you in these clubhouse streets. Definitely tune in to Leah every Thursday uh, on her Trauma Drama House of Leah Abraham. And I have that link on the screen and I'll have that in the show notes as well as her IG connection. Take care, my friend. And as my father-in-law has taught me the best two words I've heard in years, seek help. Thank you so much, LP. Lots of love, my friend. Lots of love to you, too. All right, folks, that's Leah Abraham. We're going to switch over to this missing person case that I found from our good site, The Charlie Project. This young man, his name is Alfonso Edgar Nahera, N-A-J-E-R-A. He's been missing since 2011. I'm gonna read the information here. It says he was missing July 8th, 2011, missing from Everett, Washington State here in the U.S. Classification is endangered missing, sex male, race, Hispanic, according to Charlie Project. So he's a Latin 
man. Date of birth is June 13th, 1971. He's 52 like me. He was 40 years of age when he was missing. Height and weight, 6'1", 300 to 310 pounds. Uh, last seen wearing possibly dark colored loose jogging pants and a pullover sweatshirt or polo shirt, black Nike sneakers, mid-calf socks, boxer shorts, a chunky sterling silver rope necklace, and a Rado Jubilee watch with a black face. He was associated with this particular vehicle. It was a 2006 Dodge Charger with the Washington license plate number Alpha Delta Sigma 5187, so ADS 5187, which has been accounted for. Distinguishing characteristics, Hispanic male, according to the Charter Project, Black hair, brown eyes. Nahara has a missing front tooth. He wears eyeglasses with black upper frames. The lower half of the frames have no, the lower half of the lenses have no frames. His head was shaved at the time of his disappearance. It got very limited amount of details of his disappearance. And it says Nahara was last seen in Everett, Washington on July 8, 2011. He left Benton County, Washington residence the previous day and traveled to Everett. He has never been heard from again after his disappearance. His 2006 Dodge Charger with the Washington license plate number ADS 5187 was found abandoned in a parking lot in Wilsonville, Oregon. Few details are available in his case. If you have any information on the whereabouts, good, bad, ugly, or indifferent about Mr. Alfonso Edgar Nahara, please contact the Snohomish County Sheriff's Department and that's S-N-O-H-O-M. ISH County Sheriff's Department at 425-388-3339. Again, 388-3339. You can also get information about Mr. Nahara from Crime Stoppers of Puget Sound, Nameless, and the Washington State Missing Persons Information. I will list this link in the show notes, and we will have some more conversations with Leah Abraham and other guests about stigmas, taboos, and stereotypes in future episodes of the Trigger One Talk podcast. And in closing, live in awareness, never live in fear. Please take a first aid CBR, stop the bleed course. We want you to be an immediate responder because until that threat is neutralized, there's not going to be first responders to come on the scene and you have to be a by-doer instead of just being a bystander. We want you to be safe, keep situation awareness in the forefront because it's not a matter of if, but when and where an emergency, including a violent critical incident, whether it be an active shooter or some mass casualty incident may happen. And what are you going to do in the interim? The life that you saved may not just be yours, but it may be someone who could be a friend or a stranger or even a foe. That being said, for the Trigger One Talk podcast, LPL.